0: You're listening to a sermon from Bentree Church in Loveland, Colorado. For more information about Bentree, Tree, visit BentreeChurch.com. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, Bentree. Tree. It's good to see each and every one of you here. I, I'm telling a lie. I can usually only see about three rows good there with my eyesight. But uh, thank you for being here, all of you. Um, let me just add my voice uh to brother dave as we were talking about the middle east thing uh, I, i'll be speaking about this more we've been on the uh, cusp uh, recently of being able to start a podcast a regular podcast uh called consider this that i'll be hosting uh, to cover topics that how do we respond in the christian life to the world and i want you to know uh Uh, I'll be addressing the stuff with the Middle East. We're unapologetic uh, about our approach that we are for God's people. Um, And so we do, like our brother prayed, we pray for peace of Jerusalem, pray pray for peace in the Middle East. Uh, We pray for uh, the Christians uh, in Gaza that that they would be protected. But we pray more than anything that this conflict would bring about the salvation of many uh, through this, including the the many uh, in the Jewish nation as well as the Palestinian people. So I'll be talking more about that. So, But good to be with you as we get going. Let's open up our Bibles to John chapter 8 as we study the Word together. As you're doing that, I want to remind you, uh, about that vision night that Pastor Hunter talked about is November 5th. Now, this is something, if you're a member, I really want you to attend as members. It's a very special time as we look. At what we feel like the leaders have looked at, prayed through, of what we feel like this next year, 2024, uh, is, is going to look like. And we want to get your input on that uh, with the leadership, how we want to grow into that church that God has us grow into. Um, The second thing is that if you're not a member of Ventry, sorry, this is not intended to exclude you. I I don't want to just get that message, but it's just for family members in the sense that uh, members have committed to the place. They've said, hey, to all the other members, you can count on me you can count on me but if you haven't yet become a member there's still time uh, let me encourage you to join take that starting uh, point class and then the little follow-up the basic training thing um that, that's after the second service today, the starting point. Uh, I think it's got lunch included uh, in that. It covers what we believe in our doctrine, our mission, our vision, our values, what the discipleship pathway is all about. You've heard me talk about that. And it leads to official membership. Uh, it's a pathway there. So we place a really high priority uh, to each other that we say, you can count on me and I can count on you. We place a high priority on that stuff. So if you'd go ahead, let's um, get those Bibles out. We're going to study. We're going to be in John 8, so uh, we have this series that we're in. If you're new, we're calling it So That You May Believe, and we're taking John one verse at a time, and we'll be starting with the last verse, well, verse 12, where we ended last week. Now we spent two weeks on verse 12 diving deep, didn't we? So although we didn't make it much, much progress in getting through the rest of the chapter, uh, God reveals some deep things to us, didn't he, uh, about himself. Namely, that in front of all these common Jewish folks and religious leaders listening to Jesus preach at the temple on the last night of the Feast of Booth, Booths, Jesus reveals who he is as God the Son. So let's just read again what we studied last week, and we'll move from there. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. As we dive deep into this verse uh, again and, and go beyond, uh, Jesus is literally claiming to be the great I am, the son of God, the second member of the Trinity. Now, the significance of what he said did not get past these religious leaders. Now, what he said may have gone over the heads of some in the crowd, but probably many of them even understood what he was saying. But the message was loud and clear to these religious leaders, what Jesus had just said could not be unsaid. It was a drop the mic and walk away moment. But he doesn't walk away. The statement just kind of hangs in the air. Like, did he just say what he said to the hearers that that uh, either believe this or you don't? It's a it's a truth statement. There's no kind of in between. It's an absolute statement statement that he made. But remember, this is in front of these thousands of people that Jesus reveals himself, if the religious leaders let this statement hang in the air and not respond to it, their silence would be tacit to saying, oh, no, no, we agree with them. If you're silent in the face of something said, then people just assume you agree with it. Do you understand? They have to reply to somehow, to show that Jesus is in fact wrong what he just declared about being the the son of God. So we read in verse 13, here it is. We move to verse 13 and all the people said, amen. Here we go. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Now, if you know something about the Old Testament law, it required multiple witnesses and things like... uh, murder or stealing, cases involving justice. To prove a case, you had to have multiple witnesses, but a single testimony didn't mean something was automatically false. Now, you get that. That's just basic logic. Think about this. If I say, my blue jeans are blue, because I said it doesn't make it blue or not. They're either blue or they're not. It doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't make them blue because I said they're blue. They're blue because they're blue. These leaders are somehow saying, well, you, Jesus, said that said that, so it can't be true. Now, that statement itself is not true. Because if I make a statement about some fact, logic would say then, the statement is either true or false, but has no bearing on what I say about it, other than you get my opinion. You you with me? Now the Pharisees, And the religious leaders were not going to acknowledge Jesus' claim of divinity, no matter what Jesus said. So Jesus answers their point about his testimony being false in verse 14. I feel like we're flying along here already at verse 14. So Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from, Or where I'm going. Jesus just starts to double down on his claiming to be God the Son. In his teaching, Jesus has already claimed to be sent by God the Father for the mission of saving the lost. Reconciling the world to himself. But Jesus makes the point here that his testimony was true. Look, because he says, I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. Now, we could read Jesus' meaning here as if he's saying, I might not look like it right now. I might look like a regular person, and my glory is not showing at present. I'm standing here as a servant. However, he says, I know what I just said, that I'm the light of the world, the light. And look when he says, for I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. This is interesting. Write this down. Jesus is testifying that on earth, he alone possesses this knowledge. As a human on earth, he's the only one that possesses this knowledge. Not possesses that he's the Christ. That's not what he's saying. Because some believe that already. He's saying that he is the only one who knows where he has been and where he is going. You get that picture? We learn back in John chapter 1 that Jesus existed as God, with God the Father, before anything is created. And in fact, the Apostle John tells us uh, that everything was created by and through Jesus. We saw that in chapter one. And not only that, he actually upholds everything right now by his power. Now that's a powerful thought, isn't it? To understand who Jesus claims to be. He had come from heaven, his father's side. He knew where he had come from. He knew who he was, where he was. And he knew that he would die, be resurrected from the dead, and then ascend to heaven. Think about this. Among people standing there. Listening to Jesus speak, among the people of the whole world, no one else on earth could testify to what Jesus knew. Why is that? Because he's the only one that's God, he's the Son of God. And as God the Son, he could not give a false testimony. Now, get this because of his heavenly nature, his character as God the Son he could not be less than who he was he couldn't be less than god he 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 could not lie no or in other words he could not be uh not god but as for these leaders that are calling him a liar right to his face they were not from god if in fact later in the chapter jesus will tell them and he will he, he, that Even worse, he'll tell them, you're sons of the devil. And they and, and, and he'll say, and they only want what the devil desires. Now, them's fighting words where I come from. We'll get to that part soon. Uh, but understand Jesus' point here. That these religious leaders did not have a heavenly nature, but Jesus did. They were in complete ignorance then of who Jesus is, and therefore they are incompetent to form an opinion or certainly to pass judgment on Jesus. Now we could say that these guys were spiritually blind, spiritually deaf, standing right in front of them is the God of the universe, and they're the guys that should recognize them, but they don't. Jesus will later later tell these guys, you're the sons of Satan and enemies of God. Now, some have read Jesus' words here and thought, but didn't Jesus just say back in John 5, and then they'll quote this. So John 5, 31, when Jesus says, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. And some Bible detractors will say, aha, see, the Bible contradicts itself. No, it doesn't. You have to use this rule in that context is king. You don't pull this scripture and this scripture and go, see those disagree. We have to interpret with the context of what Jesus was talking about. So back in John 5, Jesus was proving that his message of what he was preaching was not independent of God the Father, but rather in perfect accordance with the father that was the question before him in other words it matched his teaching matched exactly what had been revealed in the old testament do you see the difference now skip down to verse 37 though of chapter 5 still in chapter 5 jesus says to the religious leaders back then he says and the father who sent me has himself borne witness about me his voice you have never heard His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they, the scriptures in other words, that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. In other words, Jesus is saying... The father himself through the scriptures, what we think of as the Hebrew text or the Old Testament, inspired by the father, Jesus is saying, look, those words testify of me and the father testifies of me. But it's here in John 8 now, Jesus is making a direct reply to these religious leaders, dudes, dudes that are calling him a liar. So he denies this and he says his testimony is true. So watch close, don't get get hung up on the verbiage. Jesus just exposes these leaders to be the liars themselves and to be incompetent to even judge this. So look at verse 15. Jesus says, you judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Now there's two thoughts here. It's a double thought, so break this down with me. Don't miss it. First, Jesus says, They're incompetent because they judge according to what? The flesh. flesh. Now, what is the flesh? It is, in this context, he's referring to the physical world where they live and their view of it from the body that they're living in. He says, you're finite. You're a person. You're created things. In other words, Jesus is saying, you judge me only from your limited experience. And this world of what you have seen. And that is even incomplete. It's like Jesus is saying, you have made up your mind about me only looking through the the lens of the flesh. And your flesh is sinful. But Jesus says, but I don't do that. The second part of when Jesus says, I judge no one. Make sure you understand this. What does Jesus mean by saying that? People have interpreted this differently at different times, many incomplete or wrong. Some have suggested that what he meant is that he never judges anyone and never will. But we know that to be patently false. Because of Scripture, Jesus has already said, and we read through all, that he will be the judge that we all face at the end. Because literally, he is the judge that we see on the throne, judging the world at the end. So what does Jesus mean here when he says, I judge I judge no one? I think it's this. Write this down. Jesus judges on on spiritual and divine principles, not according to the flesh. Do you see that? Jesus judges based on spiritual and divine principles, not according to, to the flesh. In other words, Jesus judges, if someone has been born again, made alive in the spirit by the holy spirit of god at the direction of god the father the trinity is always at work in our salvation is jesus their lord and savior he judges that this is why jesus this is why jesus will judge that way we could sum up what jesus's reply to the religious leaders calling him a liar saying you judge according to what you see and you use the world's values and understanding. He says, but I don't judge anyone that way. I judge by the truth. He says, I see the whole picture. Now, in verse 16, it can be confusing if you just read it by itself. So make sure you understand what we just understood here along with verse 15 and 16 together. Here it is. Verse 15 again, you judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Yet, even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. Mm, This is interesting. In other words, Jesus says, look, I judge according to the spiritual principles of God. But even if I did judge according to just the flesh, like you guys are doing, he says, my judgment would still be true, and your judgment would still be false. Why? They're spiritually dead. He's not. Because you are sinful, he says, I am not. Because you're finite, I am eternal. And because it's not me judging by myself, Jesus says, but I judge along with God the Father Now, right here just confirms what we've been saying the whole time. We could just paraphrase what Jesus is telling these guys. If I judge, or rather when I judge, he says, my judgment is true. You judge by worldly values, sinful values. You judge on appearances. He says, I judge according to truth, reality. And I'm not alone I am the Father who sent me. Now again, in John 8.16, Jesus makes an absolute claim to be God the Son, who is one with God the Father. In John 8.16, Jesus makes an absolute claim again to, to be God the Son, who is one with God the Father. Now, don't get confused because we see this a lot. It doesn't mean that Jesus is God the Father. People can get confused, especially on that stuff. He is one with God the Father. is one God represented in three persons. Not only is Jesus not backing down, he is using religious leaders, their own arguments against them, and then once again proving that he is God the Son. In fact, later on that we'll read that same thing, Um, as we read here in verse 16, skip ahead to John 10 for just a moment. This is one of those verses that's just a tie-down spot for our doctrine. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Not the same person, they are one. One God, three persons. Jesus is speaking of divine wisdom that he shares in common with God the Father. Now, if that is true, and we believe that it is, then Jesus' judgment could not be anything but true. As Jesus debates with these religious leaders in front of all these people listening, here in verse 17, that Jesus makes another argument that we read. He says, in your law, it is written that the testimony of two people's two people two peoples two people is true i am the one who bears witness about myself one and the father who sent me bears witness about me now you might be thinking paul that's just a, that's just a circular argument it's not true just because he says it is it's not a circular argument they had just tried to say that jesus You can't bear witness about yourself. And if you do, your testimony has to be false because you're giving it. That logically doesn't make sense. But he had just proved them wrong. He's saying, I can bear witness to myself if I am God the Son. That's his claim. He's saying, it's not just me though. It's God the Father along with me that supports my testimony. I've had some guys argue they said well Jewish law though just recognizes the truth that there are two or more witnesses but this is in a situation where that law applies Jesus says but Jesus is saying look even if the law did apply here I bear witness and my father bears witness there's two witnesses boom And look, Jesus isn't just saying, he actually has been pointing back to the whole ministry that God is testifying about him, making the Old Testament say this. He's saying, look, the Old Testament points to me. This is God's testimony. And the father had given testimony of Jesus through, do you remember, John the Baptist? Do you remember Look, way back in chapter one? Do you remember? John the Baptist says this in verse 29. He says, Behold the Lamb of God. He's referring to Jesus, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. He was before everything, wasn't he? John says, I myself did not know him. But for this purpose, I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit Look, the Holy Spirit descended from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Now, that's a witness right there. That's a testimony. The religious leaders and Pharisees standing right there, they knew full well that John the Baptist had identified Jesus to be the Messiah, the promised one. Now, they knew that full well. And quite frankly, they were super glad that John the Baptist had been put to death by Herod. Get rid of that guy, saying that Jesus was the Messiah. And these religious leaders and Pharisees realize they can't argue their point anymore. They've lost the argument, so they change tactics. So look in the first half of verse 19. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Now, when I was in school, in middle school, we called this a cut down. You call it, Anybody else use that term, cut down? You're, you're, gonna, you're going to cut them down. You're going to cut them down to size. They're going to attack him personally. The man Joseph who had been believed to be Jesus' father, everyone knew that Joseph wasn't the father or that was the common knowledge that she was pregnant before they were married. That was the common knowledge, right? He had just been the stepdad but they thought he's a pretty good guy and he had stayed around but he's dead at this point, physically dead. Now, we're really not sure what these religious leaders are getting at exactly, but you can get a pretty good idea. One is we, they're saying, we know uh, that Joseph was not your real father. Um, That's false. You're born uh, out of wedlock. You can't, or you're conceived out of wedlock. Therefore, you can't be the son of God because you were conceived in sin. And who knows who your father is? Besides, you come from a little rundown town in Galilee. And we know the Messiah is born in Bethlehem. Now, the second thing that could be insinuating here is that Jesus, not just conceived by another man, that his mother was found to be uh, with child before they were legally married, but that Joseph might have been the guy uh, that maybe they pulled it off, but he's dead now. Now, what's interesting is that this is in fact right that they said that Joseph hadn't been the father. The father had been the Holy Spirit. So they are taking the truth and bending it. That's what, that's what the best lies do. The most effective lies take a truth and they bend it. In other words, they're insulting Jesus. But Jesus doesn't take the bait. He doesn't take the bait there. They try to insult him. They look at verse 19, the second half. Jesus says, You know neither me nor my father. He's talking about God the Father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Now, this is one of the deepest truths of Scripture. You want to know how to tell a, a cult between a cult and Christianity? Is always ask, What do they do with Jesus? Back in verse 12, when Jesus has claimed to be the light of the world. Wow, the light has just revealed some deep darkness here. Here's these religious leaders, these Pharisees that are sons of the devil. They claim to be the representatives of God himself on earth. But as the real light of God, Jesus himself speaks. He reveals to these guys actually that they are the enemies of God. Jesus says, you don't know me, you don't know my father either. Because if you did know me, you would know my father. Now this is why that's such an important truth. To know Jesus is to know the father. Here's the thing, you can't know the father without knowing Jesus. Now this is important to, to grasp here. Jesus is saying, once again, the way to heaven is only through a relationship with me. I and the Father are one. Another way to say that same truth is that if you claim to know God the Father, but you don't know me, well then, well then, you, my friend, are a liar because I'm the only way to get to the Father. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty seven. 27, Jesus' words here, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Make sure you underline that part here. No one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. By the way, if you've got your Bible open to Matthew eleven twenty seven, 27, write D-O-G. Doctrines of grace out beside this. If you're new to Bent Tree, in the Bible, whenever we see a scripture in the Old Testament or New Testament, I ask you to write a big D-O-G right next to it. Stands for doctrines of grace grace. When we see it describing how we are saved by God's choosing, DOG stands for doctrines of grace, the work and functions that we find in the reformation. And more importantly, we find in scripture, right? That DOG, because we say Jesus, uh, we see Jesus say about how we find God, who Jesus chooses to reveal him to. You cannot get around that verse. He says in that last line, no one knows the father except the son and anyone whom the son chooses to reveal him. And look, what Jesus is talking about here isn't just mental recognition of who God the father is. These guys have all that and yet they're lost. These guys have the whole Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible memorized and they don't know God. The word knowing means saving faith here. To know, to put trust in Jesus. Jesus, it says, I choose to give the knowledge of God the Father, to know him. Do you see this? Now, by the way, I had someone say to me recently that since we studied John 3 and studied John 6, of all of John, uh, so much that we see, they say, I see Reformed doctrine all over the Bible now. And even if you disagree with it, they go, I can't unsee it. I go, I understand. I hit that in the early 90s. I go, man, and I, un- I disagreed with it vehemently, and I couldn't get away from Scripture. It just kept coming back. So back to John 8. We read the last verse in this part we are studying today. Doesn't mean we're at the end. We still got more to do. But look at this. John 20, 820, these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Now, this debate that we just read about between he and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, this was a heated debate, at least on their side. Remember, these religious leaders, they want to kill him. They are seething in their anger here. They literally have guys there ready to arrest him. All, uh, all these common Jewish folks listening in, Jesus had just bested their leaders. He had owned them. But Jesus walks away. They didn't arrest him. And even though they had the manpower right there. Now, why don't they arrest him? Well, because God is sovereign. Jesus is going to complete his mission. He's not going to allow it yet. He has six more months until he faces the cross. But he has lots more to do. Lots more to say. Before his death and resurrection. Now as we read this. What goes through your mind? What goes through your mind? As we've just gone through this argument here. Is this just a mental exercise for you? Well it shouldn't be. Because you see. Although Jesus is arguing with these religious leaders, the people are listening in on this argument. The people are weighing the arguments, the evidence of who Jesus is and and what he has done, what the Old Testament says. They're weighing all the evidence here. And you might think, yes, Paul, you, you just mentioned that. You just pointed that out over the last 30 minutes. But you see, when the apostle John tells us the reason that he wrote the book of John, he says this in verse, or chapter 20, verse 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, please understand, you, 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 you are the audience for Jesus's words here not just the people in the story. I mean this. Jesus utters these words for you. God had you in mind when these words came out of Jesus' mouth. That That should mess you up in a good way. He had your name on his mind. And as we think about this, there are, just a few things I want us to see and how we can apply this truth of Jesus to our lives. First is this, write this down. Our judgment in spiritual matters is limited and flawed. We are not impartial. says so we're weighing the evidence. Our judgment, is spirit, our judgment in spiritual matters is limited and flawed. We are not impartial. Now, what I'm saying is that as we weigh Jesus's words, because we're messed up, because we're incomplete, because of our sin nature, that means we can't trust our own way of thinking. We read this in Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord, trust in Yahweh with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Now what a beautiful, meaningful promise and that leads us to the second thing I want us to see. Let's summarize that verse. Completely trust Jesus Christ's words because of who he is. Don't rely on your own understanding due to your sin and limited comprehension. Completely trust Jesus Christ's words of who he is. Don't rely on your own understanding due to your sin and limited comprehension. Now certainly there will be things about the Bible we don't understand. There will even be parts of Christian truth that may not seem like we would want that or like it or wish Maybe it wasn't in the Bible. But here's the thing about truth. It doesn't allow that. It doesn't allow itself to be changed by what you believe the truth should be. If we want the truth, we don't get to define the truth. When we place our faith in Jesus as Lord, we must place his authority above whatever we might think. Are you with me? This is important because the Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 and 6. Paul says, we, talking about Christians, the redeemed, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Being ready to punish every disobedience When your obedience is complete. We subordinate our thoughts to the word of God. What that means is that we live life. We take our thoughts, our actions to the Bible. And we compare them to what's here. If what you think is right does not agree with this. Guess who's wrong? You. It's easy to read that last verse and go, well, yeah, we destroy arguments. So you walk around looking for arguments to destroy. (laughs) You go, I'm going to destroy everybody's arguments because they're so messed up. What it's talking about is you, your own thoughts. Because I have horrible, sinful, temptations just like you do. We have to submit those thoughts to the Lord. Now write this down. If the words of Jesus Christ are true then we should surrender to Him as our Savior and Lord. If the words of Jesus Christ are true, like He says they are, then we should surrender to Him as our Savior and Lord. Both of those things are critical. If the words of Jesus Christ are true, then we should surrender to Him As our Savior and Lord. Listen to me. You can't surrender to Jesus as Savior. And not Lord. And the other way doesn't work either. You can't surrender to Jesus as Lord and not Savior. Here's what I mean. To say, I want you, Jesus, to save me. To cleanse me of my sin. I believe that you are the Son of God. You died in my place. But... I'm not really willing to let you take control of my life. I don't really want your plans. I want my plans. I know that you created me. But you see, I know what I want. You don't really want uh, what I want. So I want what I want. So take a hike. I just want what you can do for me. Now that sounds ludicrous, right? I, I know and yet, that's what most Christians, at least people who call themselves Christians, actually do in function in how they live. They may not say they believe like that, but that's how they actually live out the Bible. They want salvation, but they just don't want Jesus. But the other way doesn't work either. The other way doesn't work either. To say, I'll serve you, Lord. I, want you as, uh, I, I don't want you as my savior because I'm a pretty good person. I don't really have sin like you said I do. So I don't really need you to atone for me. This is like the Pharisees. They go, I, we got all that stuff figured out. We're good. We don't really have sin in our lives. But that's just crazy talk. Because if you're not willing to accept Jesus as Savior and you submit uh, for your sin to die on your behalf, you are already rejecting him as Lord. If you're weighing the evidence right here of who Jesus is as the Son of God, who he claims to be, says, I'm the light of the world. Let me challenge you to do this. If, if, if If you're not a Christian, pray something like this. Pray, God... If there is a God, would you show me that Jesus is, are his words true or false? Would you just show me that? That's an honest prayer you could pray. Ask God to show you, is Jesus your son, God? Ask God that. I promise to accept him as my savior if you show me that. Confess him, I'll confess him to the world. Will you do that? And then say, I'll turn my life over to you if you show me that. Now, here's the dangerous thing I can say all of that, but will you actually do it? Because I know this sounds crazy if you're not a believer, but we actually believe this is not reality, that there is God who is out there. So I just challenge you if you're not a believer, Pray with me right now. Let's just close our eyes. You don't have to close your eyes. You can look at me if you want to. Close your eyes, but talk to God. Pray this. Pray, God, are you real? I don't know if you're real, but if what Paul said and the Bible said is true, would you just reveal to me that Jesus is the Son of God? a big ask now I'm going to pray for you God I just agree with them would you show them and God I know that it could scare them but God do what you need to do to bring them to you to full surrender show them that Jesus Christ is the son of God Reveal that truth to them. God, save them. Use whatever means you need necessary. You deem necessary. As you just continue in prayer, you go, what do I do? Maybe you just have believed. Maybe you're getting this right now. Well, Listen to me. It's like you were dead and you just came to that realization, but you didn't figure that out. That is the Holy Spirit of God raising you from the spiritual deadness, death, and giving you life. If this is your, if you, this is your worry right now, i going, I believe, but I'm, wor- I'm worried that I'm going to go to hell now. Because I, I believe but I've got all these sins. Listen to me. Is Jesus the Son of God? If he is. And you believe that, confess it with your mouth. Believe it in your heart. You have been redeemed. Now watch, you've been saved because of what he's done. He's brought you to life. Now change teams, follow him. He's your savior, follow him as Lord. One of the things you need to do is get baptized. Sign up, that little QR code there in front of you. You can do all kinds of things. You can give, you can do all that stuff. But one of the things you do is sign up to be baptized or talk to one of the shepherding elders. They're gonna be here after our last song. You can come up and say, hey, I'd like to be baptized. Another thing you need to do is tell someone. Tell someone, tell one of these elders or their wives. Another thing you need to do is come join along with us. We're just like you are. We're sinners that have been forgiven by holy God. And start walking shoulder to shoulder with us as we travel up this thing. We call the bent tree discipleship pathway. In other words, until you die or until Jesus comes back and takes us home, all of us, we walk along this road, this pathway and help each other Grow into everything God has for us. Now here's the deal. Life is not easy when you're a Christ follower. You're forgiven but Jesus promises we will suffer. But here's the good news. He says I won't waste any of it. He says I will use that shape and mold you and you can trust in my plans so pray this in fact every Christian you should pray this God use me shape me mold me God I put my trust completely into you I pray that you make me into the man or the woman you have desired me to be and God come for me at the end of my life, I trust you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Bentree Church. To get connected at Bentry and for more information, please visit BenttreeChurch.com.